So we are considering the Beatitudes. Um, they are the constitution of that kingdom that uh, I mentioned earlier. And last week, Mike talked about uh, blessed are the merciful, and I got the Beatitudes out of order. I'm not sure that I heard reports that he was very merciful about me when he talked to you last Sunday, but we'll just let that go. How many of you were fans of the Spice Girls? What? <laughs> Come on. All right. Here we go. Sarah's the only one. Who? Oh, Nora. All right. Very good. Two of you. Oh, oh, oh. Samantha. Okay, we're good. So remember the song, Tell Me What You Want, What You Really, Really, Really Want. I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really, really want. That's my sermon today. Okay, what do you really, really, really want? So Jesus, when he is schooling his followers about how to behave in the kingdom, talked about eight kinds of people who are blessed. Um, blessed is, is a category um, that's, that's kind of a religious word around deeply satisfied, um, around uh, having deeply meaningful lives, about um, having a shalom about you. Um, it's not just being happy, but that there is particular blessing, particular favor from God to those people who qualify according to the Beatitudes. And the one that we're going to talk about this morning is the one that says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. Hunger and thirst, we all experience. We experience those in uh, different measures. Different parts of the world experience them in different measure than we do. But strangely enough, every time we eat a meal, uh, not too much time passes before we're hungry and thirsty again, right? How many times have you said, I, I'm not going to eat for a week? And then three hours later, your stomach says, hmm, time for dinner now, right? We hunger and we thirst. What's remarkable about what Jesus does is that he, he, he brings his teaching into the middle of ordinary life. And we saw that when we saw him renovating religion, when we talked about how he explained what God is like. He, he just keeps on bringing everything into everyday life and says, let me explain it to you this way. So with each of the Beatitudes, he simply visits experience that is common to us as human beings. And, and then he charms those experiences and turns them into a beatitude saying, a blessed saying. And so he says, you all know what it's like to be hungry and thirsty. Um, well, blessed are those whose hunger and thirst is for righteousness. So what we want to do today is kind of unpack that and ask the question, well, what is righteousness? And then how would we hunger and thirst for righteousness? So let me try this definition on you. Righteousness is the state of doing and being what is right. Righteousness is moral and ethical goodness. It is what God is. God is righteous. Um, God's salvation history, God's work through human history, has been about righteousness. 
has been about the fact that his created humans rebelled against him and we are not fundamentally righteous, we are corrupt. God is righteous, which means that he is morally and ethically pure all the time. There's no blemish, there's no shadow, there's no darkness at all in God's being. And God's goal for us is that we as well would be righteous. And what that means is that we would be ethically and morally right, and his standard is that we would be ethically and morally right all the time. We would be people of honesty, we would be people of truth, we would be people of purity. We would be people who would actually be like God. And Jesus says, if you want to know what the constitution of the kingdom is, if you want to know how you will behave in my kingdom, and how you should behave in my kingdom, blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for goodness, who long for goodness, who have a drive towards goodness, who have a vision of goodness, who are consumed with their longing for goodness. Jesus says, in the same way that you would be hungry and thirsty for food and drink, may you find in yourselves this disquieted state of longing for goodness. Because, and here's the promise that he has, those who long for goodness, those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, will be satisfied. We are rarely satisfied long by the things that um, we use to quench our appetites in, in our human existence, right? We eat and we need to eat again. Um, whatever it is that we are driven by, when, when we finally get that or attain to something, we find that there's more. There's, there's another mountain behind that one. We climbed this mountain and thought if we got to the top of this mountain, that would be fantastic. And then when we got there, we realized that it was only the first mountain of a range, and there's another mountain, and another mountain, and another. And we rarely can say that we're satisfied when it comes to our human desires. But Jesus says, if you are hungry and thirsty for this thing, for righteousness, you'll be satisfied. Um, I was in Uganda many times over the course of a few years, and I loved, there was one particular brother named Robert, and every time we ate, um, and, and this, this was in a village where they didn't always have a lot of food. And so a good meal was something that was just enormously valued and cherished by these, these village pastors. And Robert was a typical um, African with an incredible bass voice. And every time we finished the meal, Robert would push back his chair and he would say, I am satisfied. <laughs> I'm satisfied. And that's what Jesus said, if you hunger and thirst for goodness, for righteousness, you'll be satisfied. You will push your chair back and say, I'm satisfied. In fact, Jesus had a conversation with a woman that was astonishing. Um, he first of all talked to her, which was astonishing to her, because she said, wait, you're a guy, I'm a woman, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, you want me to draw water for you? And Jesus said, if you knew about the water that I have you would ask me to give it to you because whoever drinks of the water that I have will never be thirsty again. And she said, never thirsty again? I'd never have to come and draw water again? And we're told that what Jesus was talking about was something spiritual that she didn't grasp in the moment. 
but she quickly came to understand who he was and how special his words were to her. Jesus said, if, if you are hungry and thirsty, just like you're hungry and thirsty for food and drink, if you're hungry and thirsty for goodness, for righteousness, you'll be satisfied. You can be satisfied. Teresa of Lisieux, who was known as the little flower, said, um, I expect as much from God's justice as from his mercy. Righteousness has to do with justice. In fact, they are, they are the very same root term. So righteousness is being morally and ethically good, and righteousness embraces justice. So I was intrigued by this statement that she makes because honestly, I think I am looking forward to God's mercy more than God's justice. But they're all part of God's righteousness because it would be unrighteous of God not to deal in justice with the affairs that have um, traveled through human, human history. If you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness, what is that? It's being good, being morally and ethically right, being just, being committed to justice and mercy. If you long for that, you'll be satisfied. Well, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Here's what it is. And let me just take you in a little bit of a journey um, into the whole question of desire, the question of drives, the, the question of what we want. Tell me what you want what you really, really, really want, according to the Spice Girls. Um, there's a dark triad of desire, and it is known not only by scriptures, but it is known um, colloquially in societies like ours. It is known popularly in the, the dark triad of money, sex, and power. Um, it is said that there are three dark desires or dark drives that would tend, one or more of them, would tend to be the one that any human being might trip up over. They are dark desires, the desire for money, the desire for sex, and the desire for power. And I want to take you through the, the scripture about those things so that we can contrast this triad against the hunger and desire that God invites us into. So if we are in our fallenness, if we are driven by, if we are attracted by money, sex, or power, then what would it look like instead to be drawn to righteousness, goodness, like God is? Money and sex and power, the dark triad. If we were to go into the story of creation in Genesis 3, we find that right at the start of things, there is a prohibition on God's part to humans not to eat from the fruit of a tree. Um, and they are told that if they eat of the fruit of this tree, they're, they're going to die. And then a snake comes. He doesn't slither in yet because he's a beautiful creature at this point. And he comes and he says to Eve, did God really say that if you eat of the fruit of this tree, you're going to die? You will not die. You'll become like God. That's why he doesn't want you to eat the fruit of the tree. And Genesis 3, the text says this. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree um, was good to the eye, when she saw that it tasted good, it was good for eating, and when she saw that it would make one wise, 
that she took and ate the fruit of the tree. What she did was a response to the three fallen desires, the dark triad, and in her fall, and then along with her Adam's fall, um, they were brought into captivity to these three dark desires, this dark triad of desire in the human condition. So if, if any of us says, I am immune to the attraction of all three, good. You're well along your path of sanctification. But you may also have a blind spot that someone else could help you with. Um, you may, if you were to dig deep into your heart and mind, have to acknowledge that, boy, it's this one of the three. If, if I were to be tripped up, it would be this one of the three. I think we're wise to anticipate where it is that we may be tempted, what our vulnerability is, because it is true to the whole story of the human condition. When we get over to the New Testament, to 1 John, in 1 John, he says, here are the three things that we are prone to be prey to, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. So John says, guard against these desires. They are the desires of the world, and the world is passing and its desires. But you are wise to have your eyes open and to acknowledge that these are three traps that are set for humankind. I read a very interesting study by um, a psychologist in, in the States who was citing a study done at the University of Calgary. And the study was all to, to do with uh, university students and how vulnerable they might be to people who were prey to money, sex, and power. And this study talked about how that shows up and how that in the darkness of another human's heart and soul, there would be the abuse in a relationship of somebody else um, with the use of or for the gain of money, sex, or power. And along the way, um, those who were doing this study uh, discovered that there was a factor that they hadn't considered, and it was what they then called the humility-honesty factor. And they said, when somebody is committed to humility-slash-honesty, they are a safer person than the others who might be around you who don't subscribe to those high values but have a darkness about them related to money, sex, and power. And I thought to myself, well, that's exactly what the Beatitudes are about, isn't it? Are, are the Beatitudes about something other than humility and honesty? No. That's what Jesus is, is embracing and saying, you will be the kind of person that will inherit the kingdom. You will be the kind of person that is blessed if you have a poverty of spirit. You have that humility. If you are that gentle person, if you are that forgiving person, if, if you are that merciful person, um, you will prove to have been someone who is knowing the work of the Holy Spirit to make you like that. So the guard against money, sex, and power um, as it may be embodied in a dark human's heart or soul, would be the dynamics of the kingdom of God. And so we should love righteousness, perhaps as with the synonyms, honesty and humility um, well-bred into our hearts and lives. The Catholic Church, or the, the Orthodox Church throughout history, has had three responses um, to the three drives. So the Bible knows that there are three things that are typically part of the dark triad. Psychology knows that there are these three dark 
um, drives. And religion has known it. And so in the Catholic Church, in the monastic tradition, um, three things have been their responses. And so if you want to be a person who is um, committing your life to the pursuits of righteousness in the Catholic tradition, in the monastic tradition, you will commit yourself, first of all, to poverty. How do you deal with a desire for money? Poverty. It's the best cure for being driven by money, right? Now, the, the monastic tradition is actually very like the Old Testament Jewish tradition. So the Jewish tradition in the Old Testament was called the ethic of avoidance. So when they knew what it was that they were not allowed to do, they would design all kinds of case law around the behavior so that they would never do it. So we've talked, for example, about the, the name of God and not profaning the Lord's name. And so in little schools all over the place, they said, how can you be sure that you never misuse God's name? Simple. Don't ever say it. Right? So they never said his name. They would use circumlocutions, like they would say the heavens, the throne, um, but they would never use God's name. All the more shocking then is Jesus coming along and saying, do you want to know what God's name is? Abba. Just a world-shaking statement that he's making. He has a name. It's Daddy. Not you have to be very, very careful never to say it. It's actually this. But that ethic of avoidance was what they did. And all of the case law of, of Israel in the time of Jesus was how you avoided doing the thing that you weren't supposed to do. So similarly, in the monastic tradition, if you were not going to be driven by money, the best way to make sure that that was the case was not to have any. So you would take a vow of poverty. When I'm working on my income tax return, um, there is a certain provision for clergy, and it wants to know, have I taken a vow of poverty? I want you to know I haven't. Just, just you know, keep things clear here. There's, there's another way that I'm part of a religious order than having taken a vow of poverty. So against the love of money, poverty, and then against the lust of the flesh and sex, chastity. And so if you join a monastic order, one of the three things that you commit yourself to um, is chastity, that you will not have sexual relationships with anyone, um, thus making sure that the flesh is not raising its ugly head. Um, through the centuries, that has been problematic to the nth degree. Um, one particular saint is, is characterized as rolling himself in thorns to deal with the lust of the flesh as he tried to stay pure in his calling. And then the third thing um, that is required in the monastic orders is obedience. You will do what you're told. And so if the um, particular brother in the monastery is in charge of you, you do what he says. If the particular sister is your mother superior, you do what she says. You, you have no mind of your own. And if you have no mind of your own, you're not going to be overcome by power. You will not have succumbed to the temptation for power, control, influence. What, what do the three look like if we, just, if we were to sort of clean them up? Money is simply the desire to acquire wealth and possessions. In and of itself, not a bad thing. We're invited to make money. We're invited to be business people. 
Um, there are great stories that Jesus told where people were careless with their master's money. And uh, Jesus came back. Um, the Lord came back and said, what have you done with my money? You should at least have invested it. Um, we saw some stories where people who were um, kind of savvy about money were, were somehow extolled. So it's not that money is evil. Scriptures never say that money is the root of evil. It is um, the love of money that is the problem. So it's not that the scriptures are against material possessions. And the monastic response is extreme. So poverty is not required um, there are other ways that we respond to that in the disciplines of our lives. Um, the second, the lust of the eyes, or the lust of the flesh, we are made, we are created as sexual beings. And sexual intimacy is a gift from God to us. It was provided in the very nature of our being in his image. Um, God is a God of, of intimacy and fellowship. And he has given us the privilege of sexual intimacy with one other person for the rest of our lives. Uh, I do a lot of weddings. I don't ever use the sex word because that's, you know, yucky. But I, I do say, you know, the two of you, these rings, I hope every day they remind you of what you promised here. Because this, this is worth keeping. These promises are worth honoring. And, of course, every couple nods at me. Nobody says, nah, nah, I don't think so. They're, they're bound to it, right? But it's, it's, it is God's lovely gift to us. Um, the third one, power. There are structures of power. There are structures of authority. Um, and it is, it is just the dark side of these that comes to ensnare us. Um, there are people who are properly given authority over us, and we're to honor them and respect them and obey them. In the church, we're supposed to respond to our elders um, as those who will have to give account for us. So we need to do what they tell us to do. Um, we are called to be obedient in society. And it is only in the, the strangest of circumstances that we would actually live out our civil responsibilities by disobedience. And we may sometimes be called for that. But even in the doing of an act of disobedience, um, it is an honoring of the structures, and it is with the pain of having to stand against what those in authority over us um, have decided to do or want us to do or not do. But we are orderly people. Some people have authority over us, and we're to respond to that. It's just that we are not to love money, be driven by it, and become unethical. It's that we are not to love sexual intimacy in a twisted way, in a way um, that we abuse others, such as the case um, of the study in the University of, of Calgary, was how, how do you know when you're going to be prey to somebody who's driven by this? Um, but sexual, or sexual intimacy is God's gift to us, and power and authority are properly vested in proper people in society, and we are supposed to respond to them, um, but we're not to be driven by power. Uh, one of the questions that was asked in the survey for the students in Calgary was, um, by the age of 40, how many people will you want to have control over? And those who are bent in particular um, ways that they categorize um, will answer differently. Those that are you know, bent to the, the humility, honesty side will say, 
I don't think I should ever want to have control over anyone, whereas someone who is attracted um, might say, hmm, yeah, I think by the time I'm 40, I probably should have like 30 people that I can control. And that person would not think ill of himself or herself by saying that, right? What do we do? There are three simpler versions or um, perhaps some um, discipling versions that uh, would help us to live lives that check money, sex, and powers, those things that drive us. The first would be simplicity. And we live in a day in which simplicity is, is a pretty elusive thing. One of the best businesses you could start is storage, right? Because we have so much stuff that we designate buildings full of storage units. If you haven't used it in three years, you don't need it. That's a guy solution, right? Simplicity says, it, th the more things I have, the more complicated my life gets. And the more things I have, maybe the more things I'm inclined to or I'm tempted to get. Because if I start down the road of the size of TV screen, whoa, there's a bad one, right? I might need the bigger one next year or, you know. And so there are ways that we discipline ourselves, not because possessions are wrong or even particular possessions are wrong, but we want to check the dark inclination to put our desire in that direction. After simplicity comes purity. Um, we need to call ourselves to moral purity. And the point is God gave us the best version so that we would settle for something less than the best version is just foolishness on our part. But purity. Um, over the years, I've, I've often had uh, prayer partners Accountability partners where guys do well to allow the last question to be, are you practicing moral purity in your mind, in your imagination, and in your behavior? Yes or no? And you say, wow, really? Well, yes. Um, pornography is a plague, and it's a plague among guys and women, but it's a plague in the church. And so we need to say, you know what? Um... Help me make sure I've got my guards up. Ask me questions about where I am watching my computer and no one sees what I'm doing. Right? Ask me questions because I want to be committed to purity because I want to check um, the possibility of being driven by improper sexual desires. And then accountability has to do with how I make sure that I'm not a control freak where I say, who am I accountable to? Who gets to check on what I do? and hold me to account um, so that I don't run rampant, I don't run off in the wrong direction. Money, sex, and power are the three typical human drives. They have a bright side as legitimate provisions and structures and categories, but they have a dark side as the dark triad of desires that we as humans need to be sure we are not uh, being driven by. C.S. Lewis says something very interesting. He says it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition 
when infinite joy is offered us, like an, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. Isn't that interesting? Not that we have too strong desires. We don't have strong enough desires. But we have desires for the wrong things. We have desires for mud pies in the categories of money, sex, and power. When Jesus is saying, if you desire righteousness, you'll be satisfied. Money, sex, and power are cruel tyrants. They will use us up and spit us out. Um, they They will demand more of us the more that they get a hold of us. They will, they will attach to us in ways that make it hard to break free. And Lewis says, those are only mud pies anyway. You don't, you don't long for enough. Your desires aren't strong enough. You're settling for things that are not satisfying. And what you ought to do is go after righteousness, humility, honesty, moral purity, ethical integrity. Please God, because God is righteous. He would like you to be righteous as he is, and it's a good thing. And you can actually focus your desires on that. So tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Morning by morning, I had to say, today, I want to be like you. I really, really, really want to be like you. And it's not because righteousness is some decree or some legal thing. It's because righteousness is goodness. And it is what will satisfy our souls. When we pray that prayer and God keeps it to mind, and we fight off the other things who say, hey, come over here, like the sirens and Odysseus. When we stay tied to God's righteousness, we sail past money, sex, and power and their siren voices. And we get to say at the end of the day, I am satisfied. Tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Let's not fool one another. Money, sex, and power are knocking at the door for all of us, one of them at least. They would like to have us. Um, But righteousness is a better thing to commit our attention to. And it will bring deep satisfaction. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be satisfied.